0: This edition of The Standard Podcast is brought to you by Iberostar Hotels and Resorts.
1: Hello, I'm John Weeks. And I'm Juliet Kinsman. And this is your one-stop-shop podcast for all your travel needs. How to have the best holidays that do good for the planet and its people. That's right, for all
0: your sustainable travel needs. We discuss everything from the parts of the world leading the way in the Green Revolution to the holiday destinations, doing more than you might think to make your stay as eco as possible.
1: All that, plus the top tips you need to know to feel good about your holidays. So, Julia, we're now looking forward to the future of sustainable travel, something I'm quite excited to learn about. And I know it is a bit of a broad subject, but how do you think things will change for the better over the next few years or so when it comes to travel.
0: Well, what we do know, John, is that the future of travel, well, has to be more sustainable. The biggest consideration is going to be how is climate going to impact how we travel? My article was out this week in the newspaper, which has us reaching for the crystal ball.
1: Very good, John. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) I'm really looking forward to speaking to The Standard's very own Susanna Ramsdale about her thoughts on the trends she's noticing. Maybe the ones that are good to see, and the ones that are a bit concerning.
1: Absolutely. And that's coming up in part two. Now, though, Juliette, a question for you. Looking forward, are there any signs at all that governments around the world are looking at bringing in laws or rules at all when it comes to travelling more eco, now or in the future?
0: Well, in the climate and the sustainability conversation, it's all about what are the biggest levers we can pull? You know, do changes need to happen top down? Or do they need to happen? Bottom up, still lots of hosts out there are blaming the consumer, putting the onus on us as individuals. But yes, the good news is there are some laws changing, certainly in the EU. So European Union rules will require listed companies to publish regular reports. And that'll be on the social and environmental risks that businesses are facing. And we're going to see a lot more reporting because of the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, entering
1: into force. So that means companies, resorts, hotels will have to report to the EU on their practices.
0: Certainly publicly listed companies. So it means we're going to have a lot more disclosure around actual information on sustainability.
1: And if nothing else, the last couple of years or so has taught us just how fragile our energy systems are, relying so much on gas and oil. Are we going to see resorts and hotels powered more by solar or perhaps a wind farm off the coast, for example?
0: That's a great question. Well, there is good news, we know that the green energy transition is happening and the cost of wind energy, while it's fallen by 70%, the price of solar has come down 90% in the last decade. So I think we can gaze into that crystal ball with a little optimism. I'm also finding that there are little hacks out there, hospitality hacks. I discovered a cute little accessory this week, a startup called Stove, based in Holland. Well, spelt Stove, S D O O V. They do little heated cushions. They're at the Bingham River House Hotel in Richmond. So imagine you're sat outside. Yeah. You want to have your, I don't know, your nightcap on the terrace overlooking the river. They're going to give you this little pre-charged cushion. Well... It's interesting because the founder Tone he he pointed out to me that obviously the hotel sector as a whole contributes 1% to global carbon emissions, not to be sniffed at on a global scale. And he's saying, you know, what we really need are these little he calls out-of-the-box solutions. But I also loved when when Tone looked into the future, he also was saying he thinks how room temperatures need to be capped. I really hope that's true. I hope that's an absolute prophecy because he suggested 20 degrees Celsius. So often I'll go into a hotel in the summer, the air conditioning sets so low, something crazy like 16 or 17. Or in the winter, it's set too high. So it's too warm, 24 degrees. What we know and what Tone is advocating for is a radical movement away from inefficient heating systems.
1: And, and I mean, when you look at climate change on the whole and what it's doing to the planet, you know, I understand already we're starting to actually miss out on holiday destinations. Whether that's skiing resorts with no snow in Europe or ice skating destinations, for example, with no ice in Canada. Is there evidence that that sort of thing will continue to happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Rideau Canal is close to my heart. I grew up there in Ottawa. And, of course, last winter, it never got cold enough to freeze over. It should have been the world's largest natural ice rink here in Europe. I mean, I can't actually predict the ski season ahead. Quite a forward-looking hotel group is the Chuggen Collection in Switzerland. I went to Erosa earlier this year. There's a great little train that takes you up there. And this family-owned small hotel group, they've been working really, really hard, not only to... Think about how to future-proof their business, but tighten awareness around our changing climate. One of their hotels there, the Valsana, has an ice battery, which is a really innovative way of storing energy and much greener energy source. We're talking a lot about that. But actually what I love that they did was, was just being
1: really honest. And you mentioned there the ice battery... Can you talk about that? How does that work?
0: I knew you were going to ask me about the ice battery, John. I just know what I do know. I was paying attention to the engineer, I promise. It involves a really complex geothermal system in their cellar, which I think what's important for you to know is it looked like a sci fi set. There are <laughs> lots of shiny silver tubes, flashing lights. I know that it involves capturing the heat from wastewater, a bit of capturing the heat from the refrigeration in a nearby supermarket, which is linked to all their properties as well.
1: This sounds complicated. I I know you're not an engineer by trade, so I'll I'll let you off on this one.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You know who I need. I need Professor Rito Nutty back. He could explain it, I'm sure. He's a member of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which means he's one of the esteemed scientists contributing to all those reports that make headlines that tell us definitely, unequivocally, it's us humans causing these weird weather
1: patterns. And this is the thing, I'm learning a lot about climate. I only learned recently what that sort of 1.5 degree target really means and that it's actually a measurement which they take over sort of months and years of the global temperature. So when average global temperatures over months and years surpass 1.5 degrees Celsius, that's when we need to worry. The aviation sector, when it comes to fuel, it's quite obvious, it's quite well known that that's one of the areas where the highest carbon footprint occurs really. But I understand eco fuel is a bit of a thing. Are there promising sort of signs that eco fuel and other things can make air travel greener?
0: Yes, aviation eco fuel solutions get talked about a lot. So we need aviation to do a lot better. There's a lot of talk around eVTOL. You heard about eVTOL?
1: eVTOL. Yeah. I have not. Enlighten so, me.
0: <laughs> so that's vertical takeoff planes. It means literally electric vertical takeoff and landing. And yes, but the thing is, it can only work on a pretty small scale at the moment. People are talking about biofuels, as with everything in sustainability. It depends on the context. There are lots of trade-offs. But what I did love hearing about was that Firefly is a company turning sewage into SAFs. SAFs. Yeah, sustainable aviation fuel. Right. At the moment, though, only 0.1% of planes are actually powered by this biofuel. So I would say way too much. A disproportionate amount of conversation around this biofuel is happening when it's actually not implemented on a big scale.
1: Still, that's a very forward-thinking, cool solution, isn't it? It's sort of tackling two things at once, sewage and jet fuel.
0: Exactly. So they started off converting used cooking oil into fuel. And my daughter, she she went to the green school in Bali for a while.
1: Their minibuses ran
0: on that. I mean, it's a solution that we've heard about. So let's just hope they can take it into the commercial sector at, at a bigger scale.
1: And I saw in your article, Juliet, your friend from Greenland was mentioned in there. You're too afraid to pronounce his name. I'm not. It was Hjortar. And he was saying that the Baltics could soon become a beach holiday destination. People are apparently lining up to sort of set up resorts there. Are we really close to that happening? Baltic weather being summer weather?
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, he's already seen the dramatic impact of a three degree centigrade rise in Greenland, where the precipitation and changes in in the weather has also changed the landscape. And that's had devastating consequences. A lot of this conversation is also around typical holiday destinations, such as Southern Europe, the Mediterranean, will they still be the popular beach destinations? Not. I mean, in July and August, they were just searing hot. I personally was in France, the south of France this summer, and it was too hot. So he says we'll be drifting further north.
1: So joining us now is Susanna Ramsdale, who is the Standards Lifestyle Director. You also oversee travel, Susanna. First of all, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Susanna, in my article out this week, I quoted Alex Hawkins. He's the strategic foresight editor at the Future Laboratory. And he talked about a changing world map, which is rather daunting. So what have you been noticing that's changing in travel? Well
2: one thing that alarms me is rising sea levels. I know it sounds obvious and we quite often hear about places like the Maldives for example but I was reading something interesting about the Caribbean and how 29% of resort properties which all have you know beautiful private beaches and all that sort of thing will be fully inundated when the sea levels rise by one metre. So that's just absolutely catastrophic for the people that's livelihood depends on these hotels and also for us who want to go. So that's something that's really alarming me at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I think about it a lot because people don't realise, for example, like mangroves, why are they so important? Mangroves are something that work along the coastlines to protect it so it can, nature can do its job. And they are being destroyed by property development, by shrimp farming. We need those mangroves.
2: And yes, we need our coastal beach resorts. We need them desperately. And, and something really fascinating that I didn't know maybe Maybe I'm sort of slow to the party. (laughs) But when the sea temperature rises, the actual seawater expands, so it gets thicker. And then that causes it to rise as well. So it's not necessarily kind of glaciers melting. It's the... The thickness, the expanse of the water my gets gosh, bigger, that's
0: blowing my mind. So hey. there's,
2: yeah, so many elements to to the problem. And then Mallorca, we all love Mallorca, one of the most popular destinations in the Med. And there's a beach there called Es Trenc, and it's now 40 meters shorter than it once was. And If you just imagine you go next summer to your favourite beach and it's kind of a little slither and you can't fit on it, what a nightmare!
1: So outside of coastal health, Susanna. Water on the whole, generally, when it comes to travel and holidays, is a big issue, sort of solve a big resource to secure. What are your thoughts when it comes to water use and the future, really?
2: Well, maybe I'm taking your question quite literally here, but cruises worry me on the water. Right, OK. Um, and there's a few things going on with that. So there's lots of luxury cruises launching. So this year and up into 2025, there's the Four Seasons, the Ritz-Carlton, Aman. They're all launching luxury cruises, which I'm sure will be heavenly to be on. Mm. But there's clearly demand there for higher net worth individuals to go on these cruises. Cruises are also tending to go to more remote locations now. So there's been a 150% increase in cruise passengers going to the Galapagos Islands, for example, something, you know, that we want to keep pristine and it just cannot be good to have cruise liners mooring up there or whatever they do, dropping anchors. And then cruise passenger volume in general is up 106% from pre-pandemic levels in 2019. So that's 31.5 million cruise passengers each year. It just seems like an unsustainable problem that's not going anywhere.
1: What is the really bad thing about cruises then in terms of, you know, from a climate perspective?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, we know that
0: environmentally, it's not ideal. But actually, for me, What really concerns me is also the economic impact because cruises, their business models, is it's geared at keeping you on board and you don't spend money in these destinations that you go and visit. So as we know, with the likes of whether it's Venice or Caribbean, you know, ports or the Galapagos, you're admiring these beautiful landscapes from the boat, but not leaving any money in local pockets that will actually help them in terms of their climate vulnerability.
1: Okay, so I'm going to get a bit meta now and ask you both a big question what is the future for travel? Juliet? I'll start with you. How do you go about answering that question?
0: Well, you know, I'm always going to come out with the slogan, travel less, travel better. But my actual prediction is we're going to have rail miles instead of air miles. We're going to move away from flying loyalty point schemes and we're going to get rewards for using the train.
1: And Susanna, is your, your prediction for the future sounding the same as Juliet's? a bit different? What are you sort of hoping or expecting to see?
2: Yeah, sadly, I haven't got a catchy catchphrase, I'm I'm ashamed to say. But I think it's going to be all about the UK and Scotland. I mean, there are so many beautiful hotels in the UK, so many gorgeous cottages. You know, we're growing wine here in, in Kent and Cornwall now. It's going to get hotter, sadly. But fortuitously, you know, we can take advantage of that. It's great for local businesses. We saw it in the pandemic, we all staycayed. And we're going to be doing that much more, I think.
0: Well, I've loved in this series, six parts talking about travel and the power to do good and how we can actually try and access some solutions to climate and and world problems through travel
1: so that was the final episode of the standards sustainable travel series thank you so much for listening to this series go back and listen to episodes one to five and learn about ai bins tracking food wastes and the most eco destinations you can go to find them wherever you get your podcasts This episode of The Standard Podcast was brought to you by Iberostar Hotels and Resorts.